Amen. All right, hey, it's good to be back, and uh, today we're going to continue on and finish off the book of Obadiah. And, and honestly, after I looked at it, I thought, wow, you know, for 21 verses for the whole book, you can spend a lot of time on this. There's a lot of material here, and uh, I don't know what that says about me, but um, there's, there's just a lot in, in, in trying to say it all. So um, <clears throat> Obadiah, it goes back to the story of Jacob and Esau, and, and really it's, it's talking about this when it talks about Edom and Israel and, and or Judah and, and the struggle that's going on here and what happened and the prophecy around it, that, that's, um, that's where we are with it. So around a thousand years after Jacob and Esau, the, these twin boys who were born um, to, to uh, Isaac and Rebekah, um, you, you have this struggle that's, that's gone for a millennium, basically. And rather than helping Israel as they suffered one of the most devastating times in, in their history, um, rather than helping them, Edom chose to take advantage of them and leverage their disadvantage to their advantage. So um, it, it, was, it was a bad thing. And so at the first part of the book, we looked at the pride of Edom, the, the pride that they had and their refusal to turn to God, their refusal to um, receive the grace of God. And this week, we're going to look at how it all fleshed out and then some lessons that we can learn from it. So as, as we come in, beginning in verse 10, it says, because of the violence you have done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you and you shall be cut off forever. So this sets the tone for everything that we're going to look at today. Uh, it says, because of the violence that you've done to Jacob, because of the violence that the nation of Edom has done to the nation of Israel, it says, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. And, and so then he goes on and says that on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. So in that sentence, they describe what happened at the fall of Jerusalem in 587 B.C. when the Babylonians overran it. They, they came into the, they surrounded the city for months and basically, this is what you did in ancient warfare. You would surround the city. The city would have huge walls around it. So it would be protected. You didn't just go into the city. But, but they were protected. So what you do is you cut off their food and water and you starve them out. And, and so after a, an amount of time, and you can go in and, and you can read about this in, in some of the other prophets and the things that happened and, and it's ugly and nasty and it's not really stuff you want to talk about at the table or anything, but, but ugly things happen and, and people resort to drastic measures to survive because if there's death outside, there's death inside. So they've come to this point and the king at this point is Zedekiah. Zedekiah at night realizes it's over with, we're not going to last anymore, the food's all gone, we've, we've eaten, we've scraped all the seeds out of the pigeon poop, we've eaten that, we've done it all, and there's nothing left, and that's literally what, what was going on. And, and so they go on, and they, they run at night, and they, they sneak out of a crack in the wall to go, and as they sneak out, and they escape the Babylonians, the Edomites catch them. And take advantage of them. And so this is what happens. So, so as they escape one captor, 
their kinsmen, basically their ancient kinsmen, come in and it says, on the day that you stood aloof, on the day that strangers carried off his wealth and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You did this. This, this is as low as it goes. I mean, this is as, as drastic as it gets. This is like your brother is experiencing the worst time of his life. And you come in and say, hey, I can make a buck off of this. Um, I, can, I can gain some credibility from this. Or I can, I can leverage my position based on his position. Uh, this, this is what's going on. So, so it's a dark dark times. So here's what, here's what the prophet says. He says, but do not gloat over the day of your brother and the day of his misfortune. And, and he gives several of these do nots in here. Do not gloat. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in their day of ruin. Do not boast in the day of distress. Do not enter the gate of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity. Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. Do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So these are all the things he's telling him to do. And, and, and don't stand at the crossroads to cut them off as they come. And, and don't hand over his survivors in the day of distress. Don't take these people and sell them off into slavery so that you can gain something. So as, as we come in and look at that in these first few verses in, in, in 10 through 14, the real lesson is, is to love others. It's to love others. And this is really the story of the Bible. It's the story of Jesus. To love your neighbor as you love yourself. To love people unconditionally. To see people as these are human beings created in the image of God. That, that people are human beings created in the image of God. That is what they are. They're not there for our pleasure. They're not there for our gain. They're not there for anything other than to reflect the glory of God and to be loved as such and, and to um, be extended uh, dignity. It might sound simple um, and, and it might sound impossible to love other people. You know, sometimes it just seems like, how can I do this? Um, and, and it might sound extremely complicated or in need of some clarification, but we could always go back to that story that Jesus told of the Good Samaritan. He said, who is, who is my neighbor? You know, he said, well, who, who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, well, who exactly is my neighbor? Um, who, who fits into this category? And, and basically, Jesus said, you know, it's everyone. It's everyone. It's, it's not the people who are just like you. It's, it's all people. And... This is where Edom has faltered. Pride has led to self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency has led to a lack of humility. And that has led to seeing others as a tool for their personal advancement. When we see other people as a tool for our advancement or a tool for our pleasure or a tool to get what we want, then we have ceased to be human. We have ceased to be people the people of God, people created in the image of God, people who love other people, and, and we've become something subhuman. We've become what God never intended for us to be. And, and so in their pride, they refused to acknowledge their need for God, and they refused to repentance, and, and it basically became all about them. I mean, really, if you look at it and you look at the story, 
Um, you, you come in and you go, you know what? These people are my people. We share a heritage. I share a heritage with these folks. Um, it goes back a thousand years. I may not know them, but ultimately our roots cross. And they were self-absorbed and they were willing to use anyone for the personal gain. Israel did something similar in the 8th century B.C. and God judged them. It wasn't just the Edomites. It's human nature. It's, it's at the very essence of sin and, and what divides us and breaks us. And the Assyrians pretty much obliterated them. They divided up the spoils and they mingled them into different nations and Israel the ten tribes were no more when when um, Tiglath-Pileser III came through and the Assyrian army took over the the um, northern kingdom the northern kingdom was obliterated ten tribes were gone they're gone gone forever the only ones left are Judah and Benjamin and and this is where it's going down with the Babylonians now the Babylonians are going to come in but God's going to save a remnant out of Judah and out of Judah will come Jesus and and that's the story we talked about it in Ruth and and we saw a little snapshot of that but um, when you read about the Samaritans in the New Testament that's what happened to Israel to Israel not to Judah but to Israel and and you've got Israel as Israel as Jacob Israel as a nation Israel's a political system Israel is the 10 northern tribes we're saying Israel here, we're talking about the 10 northern tribes, not the big conglomerate of all of it. So when, when you come in there, it's the northern kingdom, and, and this, this is what happens. In Amos 2, 6 through 7, um, here's what God says. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel, this is the northern kingdom, and for four, when he goes from three to four, three is a significant number in, in Hebrew thought. In Hebrew thought, three means completion, perfection. It's, it's there. Holy, holy, holy means God is the holiest. The three is the completion of it all. It says for three, for four. It's even better than that. This is even bigger. For three, let's go on to four. He says, I will not revoke the punishment because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Or in chapter 4, verse 1 of Amos, he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. He's talking to the ladies of Bashan. You bunch of heifers. Hey, that's it, you know? I mean, hey, hear this, you cows of Bashan who are on the mountain of Samaria, who oppress the poor, who crush the needy, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. In other words, sell the poor for a pair of sandals. Sell the poor so I can get some new shoes. I want those. I don't care what you do to the workers in the field. I want, I want, I want, I want. This is what's going down, and this is what happened with the Edomites. This was, this was who they are. So God's charges against Israel in the 8th century B.C., this is what they were. Now we're moving from the 8th century B.C. to the 6th century B.C. in 587 B.C., and this is Judah and the judgment that God brings upon her. And, and the point is, and all of this, the reason I say it all, and, and this is just kind of boiling it down into a really quick thing. God cares about the weak. God cares about the oppressed. God cares about the afflicted. God cares when when young girls are trapped and and sold into human trafficking. It breaks his heart and it should break ours. 
And, and that's a drastic and easy one for us to agree on. But God cares, um, and, and it breaks his heart just as equally when we leverage the pain of someone else for our own personal gain. When we see someone as there to help us along and to move us ahead rather than see them as a human being created in the image of God, worthy of the respect and dignity that comes from that, and that we love them. We love them in in their pain. We love them in their hurt. We love them in their brokenness. We love them in their need to see Jesus. We love them in their differences. We love them in in the mess that goes along with everything. And and we just come in and we see them, and, and we see them from a different perspective. We don't see, okay, how can I advance myself out of this? How can I um, take advantage of, of their situation to help mine? Um, it, it, um, he, he just says these people took advantage of the Israelites in a time of great despair, and they viewed them as nothing more than objects to further their own personal interests. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. And um, you, you can boil it down to the Edomites. Um, viewed others as objects of pleasure. Other people are objects for my pleasure, and they're objects for my own gain. And we do that when we see anyone in any situation, regardless of what it is. It could be in the workplace. You know, it could be in the workplace, and and um, as an employee or an employer, we treat an employee as less than human. We scream and curse. We tell them that they're no good. On and on and on, rather than just come in and say, look, you're not doing your job correctly. You're going to have to do this. If you don't, these are the consequences of that. How can I help you to do this? And then if they don't, you fire them. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's called accountability, right? But to treat them as less than human, oh no. Look, I worked in the oil field for eight years. I've been called everything you could be called. And I've got really thick skin. I've been a preacher for 30 years. So, I mean, you know, you can do anything. But, but the reality is, you know what it is? When, when you come in and, and you do something to someone like that, you're saying that they're less than human. And this is what it is. So when you come down and we look at the Edomites, go, oh man, we'd never do that. Look, that's us. It's the human condition. It's something that we have to understand and know and in our heart see and love other people and know what that's going to look like and know what it's going to look like. The second thing in verses 15 through 18, uh, we go on from there. It says, For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk duly, or for as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So he talks about this day of the Lord. 
He says, the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is a great day of judgment. When you see the day of the Lord in the Bible, it, it, it takes several different uh, meanings, but the meaning ultimately comes back to judgment. It comes back to there will be a time of answering, a time of reckoning. There will be a time when we give an account before God. That God doesn't just, you know, we look at things in, in, in a scope of a very finite period, but God sees it in terms of eternity. And God says, I will judge. I will judge these people for their sin. And this is what happened to Edom. It, it was, um, you know, decades later, but ultimately Edom ceased to exist. We talked about that in, in the first part of Obadiah. But um, the day of the Lord is a terrible thing for those who are the, the enemies of God. Um, our cultural understanding of God is that he is a God of love. And that's true. He is a God of love. But he is also a God of wrath. He is also a God who punishes sin. He is also a God who will not tolerate wickedness. He is also a God who will not allow the wicked into his presence. He is also a God who takes the wicked and washes them in the blood of Christ and makes them holy and blameless before him, not because of what they have done, but because of what Jesus did for us. Um, I, I mean, it's, it's this thing that, that's out there, and it's this balance that, that has to happen in order for him to be a perfect God. And so he is... Um, he is all of these things, but God does punish sin, and this is abundantly clear in this passage. It's very, very clear. He says, for, in the day, for the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations, and as you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. He says, for as you have drunk on the holy mountain, you're going to drink until you can't swallow anymore. You're going to gag on what you have dished out and so this is this is what God is laying out and so he promised the people of Judah and, and really he's talking to Judah in this he's promising the people of Judah he says look I haven't forgotten about you I know that you feel like it here in 587 BC the Babylonians have just overwhelmed you you've been carried off into exile and, and your life has been turned up on end and and you're going to die in a foreign place but you know what don't worry about it because your kids are going to come back he says, but I will punish Edom. I will. Their deeds will come back on their own head. Trust me in this. So he, he does this and, and he goes on. And, and so the day of the Lord, in, um, in one of the commentaries I read, said the day of the Lord would mean different things to different people. For Edom and the nations, it would be a day of judgment. For the house of Jacob, it would be a day of deliverance. For the people of Israel, it would be a day of restoration and expansion under the Lord's rule. In other words, this day of the Lord, it can be a, a terrible thing or it can be a beautiful thing. It, it depends on where we are with God. It depends on where we stand with him. In Lamentations 4, 21 through 22, um, <clears throat> Jeremiah wrote, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself here. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer, but your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. So Jeremiah writes in this time, he says, Edom, what you have done, it will be punished. It, it will happen that God will do this. So God allowed Judah to, Jerusalem to be conquered because his people had turned away from him. This is why he allowed this to happen. His people turned, they followed other gods, they left their God. They became complacent in their place and they became caught up in their culture and the things around them and they forgot who they were and they violated their covenant with him. And <clears throat> 
So this is where this thing comes down. This is what happened. And this was their day of the Lord. This was the thing that happened to them. In John 12, 44 through 50, Jesus puts it this way. So Jesus cried out and said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, the word that I've spoken will judge him on the last day. For I've not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has taught me. Jesus just said, look, there, here it is. There is life and death. Choose it. He said, you will be judged not, not based by me, but based on what I have done, on whether you receive what I have done, on this word that I have given to you. And, and this is what, what, when we come to this day of the Lord, we will all give an account before God of our lives and of our works. In Romans 14, 12, it says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We'll come back to this in a moment. But, but he says, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And, and it's ultimately going to be a terrible day i mean when we talk about the lord it'll be a terrible day because there'll be people who are forever cast from the presence of god and it'll also be a beautiful day because there will be people who will receive an eternal inheritance and step into the presence of god for eternity and and so we we look and we see and and we balance this and and we could spend a few weeks talking about the day of the lord but it ultimately boils down to that there is a holy and righteous God. And he demands our worship. He demands um, that we give him glory. He demands that we be the people that he's created us to be. And he's provided for us to do that. He has made it possible for us to do that. In our brokenness, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter what your sins are, no matter what your past is, no matter who your mama is, it doesn't matter. Um, even if you were a cow Bashan, you know, the deal is, is that what Jesus did covers it. He covers it. He can take the vilest sin and wash it and make it white as snow. That's the promise. So when we come in and we talk about the fact that, yes, there is a day of the Lord and there will be judgment. And it is something that, that is fierce and real and should be feared. There is also a Redeemer who loves us and is gracious and merciful. And, and he offers this to us. So, so as we come in, we just need to understand that, that um, he has created us to be a people to live in covenant with him and he will punish sin so <clears throat> we come back and, and we come on to the end in verses 19 through 21 and it says those of the negative shall possess mount esau and those of the shephelah shall possess the land of the philistines that shall uh, possess the land of ephraim and the land of samaria and benjamin shall press uh so possess Gilead the exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath and the exiles of Jerusalem who were in the Sepharad shall possess the cities of the Negev Savior shall go up to Mount Zion to rule Mount Esau 
and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. <clears throat> so the, the first thing <clears throat> was that we're to love others. The second thing was that we're to trust God. The third thing is to always remember it's about God and Him receiving glory. It's all about God. And, and it comes down and it says, you know what? Um, all of the things that have been taken from you will be returned to you. So that everything that has been stripped from you through the wicked things of man shall be returned to you. You're going back. I mean, all these places and words that you can't hardly pr pronounce. These are all real places in, in the land of Israel. And he says, you know what? Where all these other nations have come in and possessed this, it's going to be returned to you one day. It's going to become yours again. And <clears throat> Mount Esau, which means the Mount of Profanation, the profane mountain, will be possessed by the people of God. And everything will ultimately belong, uh, re be returned to him whom it belongs. Everything will be returned back to God, and he will be worshipped. Mount Zion is the holy mountain. Mount Esau is the profane mountain. And God will ultimately reign over all peoples of the earth. This is what he is telling us in 1 Peter 5, 10 through 11. It says, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, in Peter, he spoke to the church there, and we say, as he wrote this letter to this group of Christians, he said, you know what? You're going to suffer. You are suffering. In this time, you are being persecuted. He said, but you need to understand. You need to understand the God of all grace who has called you into his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be dominion forever and ever. Amen. You see, that's the best part about it all, is that God is a God of redemption and a God of restoration. He is a God who takes the hurting and offers strength and comfort. And even though he allowed Judah to fall, he also promised to restore them. In that same commentary I read, it said, God's people may suffer temporary defeat for their sins, but God will intervene to rescue them to judge his enemies, and to establish his kingdom. We may suffer temporary defeat for our sins, but ultimately it says God will step in. He'll step in, and he will rescue us, he will judge his enemies, and he will establish his kingdom because God offers us hope and he offers us forgiveness in Christ. And he also calls us to live our lives to his glory and to make him known to all people. So that means that we live out our lives so that others outside of the church, so that the people outside of the church, they see something different in us and they're drawn to that. They see that we're not like the culture around us, that we don't see that everything is about what can I get, how can I advance my cause, how can I move forward, how can I gain, 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 but instead, how can I reflect 
the greatness of God, the good of God, the love of God, the mercy of God, the hope of God, the promise of God to the people around me? How can they be drawn to him? How can they see us in all of this thing? Um, it, it's, it's, it's just a crazy thing to think about. And if you come in, you could take a snapshot of us in 2020. And, and I would have to say this has probably been about the strangest year I've ever experienced. In 59 years, this is the strangest one that I can think of. And um, <clears throat> um, you, you just come in and, and everything that you throw in there, it's, it's really, really um, just, what is it? What is it? Um, this week, we, or last week, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I've lost track of time. In August, in mid-August, we uh, finally figured out we're flying out of state. We flew out of state. We took our youngest daughter, Hope, dropped her off at college. Um, you know, there, there was a, a lot, you know, people say, oh my, you're empty nesters. Uh, you know, it's fine. We're fine. You know, um, we'll be just fine. Um, and, and uh, as a matter of fact, Hope asked one time, what are you going to do without me? I just looked at her and said, baby, let me tell you what, I'm going to do what I was doing with your mama before any of y'all came along. <laughs> we were doing just fine before you came and we'll be doing just fine after you're gone. Um, so, you know, in, in that case, you know, 30 years later, here we are, um, 28 years, 28, 28 years later. Yeah. Um, we're back to where we were 28 years ago, just a little bit older. Uh, 28 years older to be exact, um, but uh, but um, <clears throat> you know so so we did that. But it it was something like I've never experienced in in that I can never even I couldn't have written the script. Uh, you you go to the airplane, you go to the airport, and and it's it's one it's August and it's vacant. You don't even walk through line. Even if you don't have pre-check, you don't walk through line. It's quick. It's fast. Um, you, you, um, you, you go in and, and there's hand sanitizer everywhere. You could bathe in the stuff. Um, you, you know, there's boxes full of masks and, and everything to go. And, and, and you go, you get on the plane. Um, you're not packed in like sardines. You've got extra seats. Um, there's spaces in the middle. And, and you fly, and you go, and, and then um, you come in, and, and it's a different world. And, and when you land in Dallas, it's a very different world. And, and so we go, and, and uh, you, you go down to college, and instead of there being a, a zillion people there trying to drop off their kids, you've got a time slot where you can come in. They go, they get their stuff, they come back, you put on your mask, you go in the room, you come out of the room, you've got, you know, you've got all your details that you've got to do, and, and this, is what, um, this is what it is, because we have this thing called the uh, coronavirus, or COVID-19, or whatever you want to name it. Um, uh, but, uh, so we did that, and, and we did all that, we flew back, and, and we survived, and we were fine, came back in, got the... Uh, you know, the COVID test, I'm, I'm negative, by the way. I, I can scream, clean, clean, or <laughs> unclean. I got to go, I got to go do it again. But, uh, but that's fine. It's no big deal. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's what it is. And, and that's, uh, that's kind of where we are. 
And as a church, we've, we've gone through a tremendous lot, a tremendous amount of stuff. Um, we have gone from not meeting at all to trying to figure out how to, um, how to connect together virtually, which I'm, from my very depths, I'm grateful that we're able to do that. Just understand, I'm very grateful, but I want to tell you something, it's not real. It's not real. God did not mean us, God did not make us to stand behind a screen and interact with people. He made us to be face-to-face. He created us to be face-to-face with Him, and He created us to be face-to-face with one another. But in the current circumstances, that was the best we could do, right? And we did it. And um, I would probably say that it might be one of the most difficult years work-wise that I've had. It's taken hours, countless hours of my time and others' time. Um, you know, I know Rick has come down here to help fish wires through the walls to do stuff. And we've had people come in and, and work on all kinds of different things to, to make it all work and to make it good. And it didn't work today. So it's not, you know, we're, we're all alone. It's just us in the room. The world is not watching. Um, but, uh, but Dave's going to make it work for the second service, and Natalie's going to make it work back there, and it's all going to be good. And if it isn't, it's still all going to be good, right? It's all going to be good, and, and we'll just do, we'll do the best we can do. But, um, but it is. And, and so in all of that, the reason I say all of that is we've got people in our church who have many, many different um, ideas about all of this. For some folks, it's possibly life-ending. There are. We have some people in our church who are um, immune-compromised, and, and they watch online every week. As a matter of fact, I watched online um, a week ago or something, two weeks ago. I can't remember what it was. But I can see them. I can see, them on, I can see that they're there. Um, Don Gann. Don's in his 80s, his health is not good, and he just says, you know what, I can't risk that. We can't. Su- Suzanne and I, we're not going out. I miss Don. Um, you know, big Santa Claus beard, happy guy, uh, just seems like everything's always good. Sharp, sharp as a tack. Good friend. Um, <clears throat> there are others on there as well. And... Uh, you know, they, they're not able to make it. And um, they'll, they'll eventually be back with us. But, um, but this will pass. But, but until it does, that's just where we are. Um, <clears throat> there are others who think that there's absolutely, it's a hoax. I mean, hands down, I'll say, look, it's, it's a hoax. And, and um, this, is, uh, this is something we just need to blow off and go on. And basically, that's, that's where I live. I live between those extremes. In my position, I live between those extremes. And um, I understand I'll never please 300 people. And I don't care. I'm just going to put it out there. I don't care. 
I will please God. Hands down. Hopefully. I want to try to do my best. And I've always, always, this has been the one thing I've always tried to do as a pastor. And that is to do things out of love. To love people, even when you have to confront people, to, to, to do it in love and, and to do it as such. Um, so, so we have a lot of people with a lot of different things going on in, in our church. And we come in and Obadiah, you know what? I think he really gives us a great example of this, that we are to love people. And then you could throw in all the political stuff and everything else. And I don't watch the news. I quit. It's, you know what? It, it doesn't do anything positive for me. So I don't watch it. And um, I'm not uninformed, but I just don't. I don't. Um, I, I, honestly, I think that all they want to do is get people jacked up. And the more jacked up you get, the more you'll watch. So um, I, I'll read the good news and go on. But... Uh, but, but there it is. Um, we've got all everything else going on in our current, you know, globally and nationally and blah, blah, blah. But, um, but my job is to lead a church and to lead a people of God and to draw them into the presence of God. And, and that's who we are. And, and as we come in, that's who we're going to be. That is who we're going to be. We're going to be the people of God. We're going to understand that we don't all think alike. We don't all have the same likes. We don't all have the same dislikes. But nonetheless, we will love each other. We will respect each other. We will care for the weak. And we will care for the strong. And uh, as such, having said that, um, <clears throat> one of the things that uh, is probably, um, I, I, find, I find it's very interesting, but the whole idea of wearing masks. Um, I don't know how it's become political, but, but it is. And it's a, it's a hot, hot topic. But, but this is what I've talked to our deacons, and this is what we're going to do. We're going to make our first service a mask service. Because we have a lot of people who have asked. The second one will not. And I know that for some of you in here, it's like, I'll never wear a mask. It's fine. we got the second service. Um, our senior adults have changed their Sunday school hour from the first hour to the second hour um, so that some of the younger people who have kids could actually come to the first service and be with their kids and, and have Sunday school in the second hour. And they've done that, haven't done Sunday school their entire lives at that hour. People in their 80s. And my father-in-law, you know what he said? He said, look, I'll do anything if we can reach the young people. He said, because they're the future of our church. And I don't know what to say about that other than, wow, that's getting it right. So Romans chapter 14, which says, we'll all be judged. We'll all give an account to God. In there, in Romans chapter 14, it says that there are people who are strong and there are people who are weak. And there are people who are offended by some things and there are people who are not offended by some things. And those people shouldn't take their freedom and use it in such a way that it hurts the others. In other words, it says, you know what? Sometimes you just got to go along to get along. And, and you just got to know that, that there's no perfect solution. And, and you can be totally right in your own mind and, and 
figure somebody else is totally wrong in theirs. You can still love them and you can still get along with them. And you still go. So, so doing all of that, I want, I want it to be the one to say it. I don't want it to be in an announcement. I don't want it to be on Facebook. I just want you to know, face to face, look, here it is. Um, um, I, you know, there it is. And, and so, um, you know, you think if, uh, if you don't think that this stuff is real, um, I talked to my daughter, Hannah, today. Uh, their ball game got canceled this afternoon. That was millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. We're talking about a billion dollar, multi-billion dollar industry. My son-in-law gets tested every other day. Every other day. Hannah went on their last road trip. Not their last, maybe the one before that. I don't know. She went to California. In, in one road trip, I think a six-game road trip, she got tested three times. They won't even let her into the stadium. I mean, so it, this stuff is real because people who are throwing down that kind of money, they don't throw it down for a hoax. So, so I, I just, I come in and, and go into all of that and just say, hey, we'll do that. Um, I'm not going to wear a mask while I speak. The people who sing are not going to wear a mask while they sing. That's not feasible, and we're far enough away that that should be fine. But, um, but, but that's what we're going to do. So I don't want to offend anybody, but, but on the other hand, um, I can't do it either way without offending someone. There's no good answer. There's just no good answer. But I think this is probably the best. And, and so that's, that's kind of where it comes down. And I think it kind of fits in with Obadiah here, honestly. I just think it kind of fits in and goes, you know what? We just got to love each other and, and realize we're not going to agree on everything. And uh, that's the way it is. And, and you know what? I've pastored for as long as I have. We've always had things that we agree on and we disagree on, haven't we? It's kind of like coming to the table. For, uh, for um, 10 years, for the first 10 years of our marriage, every Thanksgiving, my wife would try to give me cranberry sauce. I despise that can of stuff. It's like the worst jelly you've ever eaten in your life. And... Then we would be at someone's house and she would talk about how great it was and want to give me some. And I couldn't say no then. And I would choke it down. And then one Thanksgiving, we were at Dale and Barb Cochran's house and she started doing over the stupid cranberry sauce. And I was trying to kick her under the table like, would you just stop it? I hate this stuff. I tell you every year, I hate this stuff. Um... And, and she goes, oh, this is delicious. Oh, Barb, you made this? Oh, you, Dale picked the berries for it? This is amazing. And, and she goes, and she goes, oh, well, here, Dale. And Dale goes, I don't like it. And I'm like, yes, I don't like it either. And she's like, you're, I said, no, I've been telling you this for years. I hate this stuff. But we all get along. And I kind, of see, I kind of see life that way, you know? I kind of see church that way. I kind of see our family that way. There's stuff that we like and stuff that we don't like. And it's not right or wrong. It just is. It's just there. It's preferences. And, and that's where you go. But I, you know what? I still love my wife. And, and I'll even eat cranberry sauce for her. That's how much I love her. But if I come to your house, I'll say, no, thank you. 
and, and um, that's, that's kind of where it is. So anyway, hopefully I've said this in a, in a good way, a gracious way, and, and, and if not, um, I know that you're great people and you'll forgive me anyway. So it's all good, and, and that's kind of where we are, but, um, but I want you to know, look, I love you, I care about you, um, I have no idea about all this weirdness that's been happening for the last few months. I'm just trying to do the very best I can. And, and you need to understand that it's, it's, uh, it's difficult. And, and it's very difficult, especially when things change every time you turn around. So uh, that's, that's just kind of where it is, where we are. But we're going to do the best we can do. And, and you know what? In the midst of it all, our goal is for people to meet and know Jesus. And for those who have met and know Jesus, our next goal is for us to grow up into the likeness of Christ so that we can reach others and do the same thing over and over and over again. I want people to look at our church and go, you know what? They're full of a lot of different people from a lot of different backgrounds and a lot of different um, employment situations and and education levels and and ethnicities and everything else. And, And we're just amazed at how well they love each other. Because I want people to look at us and see what heaven's going to be like. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what our ultimate goal is. Let's pray. Father, we, uh, we praise you because you are an amazing God, a loving God, a God who has given us way, way, way more than we could ever ask for or expect. And Lord, we pray that you would help us as your people to love one another and to show the world your love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.